Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Bet on Chicago. My name is Joy Christopoulos. Today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. And look, with baseball's marquee matchups coming in July, there's no other place you better go than BetOnline for all of your prop bets, futures, latest odds, news, and information, and all your online sports betting needs. So what are you waiting for? Visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before that next pitch, make sure you head on over to BetOnline and start playing today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for coming into the pod. Super excited to talk about this guest because I think he has some really unique perspectives, not just with his journey in life, but with the NBA that's going on here today. His name is Travis Reed. He is a former professional international basketball player. He's played over 10 years overseas in countries like Colombia, Poland, France, Belgium, Holland, Estonia, Germany, Australia, and more. And oh, he's picked up a couple of MVP awards along the way doing that as well. Right now, he is hosting a podcast called A Basketball Life, which you can find on Spotify and iHeartRadio, and also doing a YouTube show called An Athlete's Journey, talking about athletes playing, uh, American athletes specifically playing overseas. Travis, my friend, thank you so much for joining the pod. How are you today? Good, good, Joey. I appreciate you know you letting me come on your show, man. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you. And, and, you know, let's just get it started really simply. uh, Our listeners really love to hear just sometimes the journeys of someone's beginning point to their end point to where they now are in the present place. So if you can just kind of walk through a little bit of your, you know, on the court journey and maybe answer the question, you know, growing up in your teenage years, you know, learning your craft, did you ever expect to play overseas and across the world playing the game that you love? Um, Well, I well. To answer that question briefly, no, um, I, I, I didn't know. To be honest, I didn't know where I was going. I had to look it up on a map uh, before I went. You know, I didn't know where Bogota, Colombia was. I didn't know where Holland or Estonia and none of these places. My mom bought me a globe, one of those uh, spinning little ball globes. So I had to like actually look on the map. And, oh, okay, it's here. It's here. You know, and that's uh, definitely you know one of the things I had to do when I left. Um, growing up, you know, uh, I grew up in, uh, you know, South Central LA. Uh, you know, my, uh, like I said, I, I played on a bunch of, you know, AAU teams. I, I did, I went to AAU circuit. I played with Jason and Jaron Collins. Oh, uh, nice. You know, growing up, ARC, you know, I played against Baron Davis, with Baron Davis. Um, like when I came up, it was a lot of, a lot of competition growing up in California. So I seen the best. I seen Shea Cotton. I played against Shea Cotton. Played with Shea Cotton. Uh, like I said, just California was like a hotbed of talent at the time. Um, so I was just one trying to get my name out along with the names of everybody else that was out at the time. Uh, I I went to Crenshaw uh, High School where it was like a it's a California powerhouse. Uh, I won city and state there as a freshman. Uh, my mom and my dad divorced, so I, I went to move with my dad. So we moved to Fontana, uh, and I went to find a school called A.B. Miller in Fontana. After that, I went to UCLA, um, where I, we came in as the number one recruiting class in the country. Me, Baron Davis, Earl Watson, Billy Knight, Shea Cotton at, during that time, uh, and then uh, uh, Rico Hines. And so we had a, a hotbed of talent. Um, the next year uh, came in uh, Matt Barnes, uh, Jerron Rush, uh, Dan Gadzira, Jerome Wiesio, Ray Young. Like, we had the number one recruiting class in the country two years in a row. 
So UCLA was just, you know, talent on top of talent. Uh, I played there two years. Me and the coach didn't necessarily see eye to eye in my playing time. Mm. Uh, so I was like, I'm, I'm out, you know, and uh, finished, up, finished up in Long Beach State. Got my degree, was Big West newcomer of the year, along with Big West uh, first team two years in a row. And at the time, I was getting ready for the draft. Uh, I went to this VCU Sports and Showcase camp in Virginia and won MVP to camp. So I thought, okay, uh, Memphis had like, they had uh, like four or five picks that year, whatever it was, and they was looking for a power forward. And so that year they drafted Stroh Miles Swift, number two, Memphis Grizzlies. And then they drafted Casper Scambala, number 18. And then they drafted another power forward, like number 36. And then like they had the 58th pick. And I was, I was, you know, the guy who was a scout for them said, well, you know, if we keep the 58, 57th pick, we might draft you, you know, like you probably get drafted by us. And then when the 58 pick came, uh, they drafted a guy who I just killed at camp. And, uh, you know, so I was like, well, he said, we can bring you in to do the summer league and do all that. And I was like, look, I got rent to pay. Yeah. And I got bills. You know, I can't afford to just be waiting around seeing, quote unquote, just to see if I make it. So uh, I had an agent at the time. He was like, look, I, you can go make money right now, make $5,000 right now, you know, and in Bogota, Colombia. And if I would have watched Cocaine Cowboys before then, I probably wouldn't have went. <laughs> but uh, I didn't see Cocaine Cowboys. So, yeah, I, I decided to go to Bogota, Colombia for the summer. Literally, like, I want to say a month after I graduated college. Went over there for about, you know, two, three months, you know. Uh, made, you know, made some money. Made about 15000 Signed a deal to go to Poland when I was over there. And I, you know, I told my agent, you know, like, all right, so I'm gonna come home for two weeks, you know, pack up my stuff, get ready to go to Poland. Um, and Poland was just a situation where they didn't have a car. I had to walk four miles to practice. Um, you know, me and the other American, uh, we were, you know, we were, we had to be close because the TV was in Polish. So we just talked every night. We didn't, it <laughs> was nothing else to do. Had to converse. Uh, <laughs> you just had to converse. We became yeah. real close. Uh, and basically, I remember like it was yesterday, they saw me, they measured me, and they told my agent we're going to cut him because he's not 6'10". Uh, my agent was like, he's 6'8". What is, what is the difference? You know, we want a 6'10 American. We don't want a 6'8 American. So they literally, uh, even what I, I played in the preseason games, did really good, you know, they, 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 they cut me, period, just because I wasn't 6'10". And that's when I realized, like, this is a, a business. Like, they, they don't even care in, in, in Europe. And, you know, just like, I was like, wow. Like, you know, kind of like, they cut me because I wasn't tall enough? Like, I, I, that never was part of, you know, I've never been a part of something like that. So I'm on the plane back, going back home. I get a call on, on the plane while I'm about to go to sleep. Um, and it's my agent and he's saying like, get off the plane, hurry up. I got a job for you in France. So I hurry up, get off the plane. I go to France. I'm just imagining your suitcase. You just have the globe 
and some clothes and you're like France. Yes, yeah, let's yes, just look yes. this up real quick. Yeah. I'm like, okay, France. Okay. 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 Literally, uh, what happened with and the crazy story about France was this, like, you know, when you go international, you can your bag can be heavier, right? But when you go in like place place to place, like, you know, say I was going from Poland to France, my bag had to be smaller and weight. Mm-hmm. I'm like throwing clothes away, this and that. And they're like, well, your bag is still too heavy. You can't take it. I'm just like, my agent was like, just go, just go. Just get on the plane. It's about to leave, whatever. And so I just left my bag in, in Poland. So I just had the clothes on my back, my tennis shoes in my bag, and like a PlayStation, my PlayStation. That was it in my backpack. <laughs> oh, man. And I go to I go to France and like the Poland, the po- I get to France and the Polish people say, we threw away your bag. Well, how you throw away the bag? I just got here. Right, it was like we, we heard a tick 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 or something, and I'm like a tick tick. Oh man, y'all just wanted to throw away the bag. So you know they sent me they sent me like a, you know some like a hundred or two hundred dollars equivalent, and but it was like it wasn't about the money. It was about like all the stuff that was in there, you know. Um, you know I had college pictures and just a bunch of stuff, you know. Uh, so literally I have the clothes on my back. The team gives me some of their clothes uh playing i'm there for two yeah two weeks my i tell my agent i can't drive a stick he's oh no no problem they give you automatic so i get to the team oh here's the keys to your stick i I only drive an automatic you know like oh we don't we don't allow you know we don't have any all we have is sticks so my car is sitting i'm trying to learn you know every day going out driving in the parking lot like You know, they drive a sticker, you know, I I can't, I can't drive stick, dude. I cannot drive stick. It's not happening. (laughs) I totally get where you're coming from. I'm, I'm horrified right now. (laughs) Oh gosh. You have no idea. Like I took my teammate, one of my teammates to kind of teach me. And so the coach gets fired in France. We, you know, we're in preseason coach gets fired because he's having a contract dispute. So they, they bring in another coach. He doesn't like me. So he wants his own American. So he releases me. So my agent says, stay in France. I'll be in France in, you know, two days, right? So basically two days turned to six days, turned to 10 days. So I'm in France, basically not doing nothing, chilling, eating McDonald's every day uh, in a hotel waiting for my agent, you know, to come. And so he finally comes and I'm just like, gosh, man, you know, thank you. All right. So he brings me some clothes um, and some sense and more money. And then like we go to, we drive to Belgium. Uh, so, you know, like I said, we're on my, this is my, you know, my third team already in like, you know, six weeks. Um, and I haven't got that much money. I, I basically was been there for six weeks and maybe got like $400, you know? So I'm, I know it's, it's been a struggle. So I go to, I go to, I go to Belgium and the coach, you know, was like, I like your game, but, you know, you're not the player that we want, you know. I'm like, okay. And it's like after about one week of practice. So after that, I fired my agent at the time. Like, man, you ain't no good, you know. And then so another agent who saw me at that camp I was telling you about earlier says, come to Holland. It's not that much money, but, you know, you can still play. And I said, okay. You know, and uh, at the time, I was like, yeah. Yeah. We played like the champion of the of the league at the time. We lost by like thirty, 
But I shot it. I, I had like 35 points because I was shooting it every time I got it. I didn't care. I was like, I'm, I'm going to have fun this game. I don't care. And so after the game, since we lost by 30, I told the coach, thank you for giving me the opportunity. You know, I have fun at the game, whatever, whatever. I said, Travis, we're going to keep you. I said, you are? All right, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so imagine going from 5,000 in Columbia to I was I signed for like 10,000 in uh, uh, Poland, all the way down to 1,500 a month in Holland. So the money was not, you know, you had to, I literally had to start from the bottom of money and build my way back up. And uh, was in Holland for four years. Um, I was in Holland for four years. Uh, I won the, the first year I had to make any money, but I won statistical MVP, which basically means I had the best stats in the league, you know, and they give that like kind of like offensive player of the year. Um, and then I signed for another deal with another team and I won MVP of the league the next year. We won the championship the next year. I stayed in Holland for four years, went to the finals three times, won, you know, two championships. Um, was going to try to get my passport where I have dual citizenship because that means a lot for Americans out there. Um, but I ended up uh, uh, not doing it. And, you know, I was like, I'm tired of I'm tired of Holland. I'm trying to get to the next challenge. So I went to Estonia uh, with my, my ex-teammate who was Estonian. And, you know, they I signed a really good deal with them. Um, and I won MVP of the Baltic League. I won MVP of the Estonian League. Uh, really got my name out there, really, really, you know, big. But I'm, you know, what what, what people don't understand in, in, in Europe is that they really, really, really kind of pressure you uh, to sign if you're doing really good with the team. Mm. And you have to be really, really strong-willed to, like, they'd be like, okay, uh, they'll start trying to sign you in November, December. They'll say, okay, what about, say, 8,000? What about 10? What about 12? What about, you need to, by, by the four months in, you're like, all right, all right, I'll sign back, you know. Um, but to be honest, like I've seen so many Americans that come there, come and go. It was by th by then I was about six or seven years in. Um, you know, just like having fun. Then I got injured. I had stress fractures in both my shins. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh. stress fractures in both my shins. And I'd have, how, I still how have long did it take? Uh, if real quick, how long did it take for you to know that you had stress fractures there? Like, were you playing on them, or did you kind of know, sort of? No, right? I, I played on him for, I want to say about a month. Yeah, I just, like I was just like, oh, I was I was popping Aleve pills like like Skittles. Yeah, like, I, I was taking like eight, nine, ten, and I was just like, man, I, I gotta go check this out, man. I, I can't. This 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 is hurting too much. And so the doctor said that you you know you need surgery, you know on both of your shins because they're both, the, you know, they were both cracked, you know, and I, I you know, I, I missed, uh, I missed the rest of that year. You know, I missed the finals of Estonia my second year. And then I was rehabbing at, in LA back in the States for the summer for the next year. And then I was playing pickup and this guy kicked me in my shin and almost, you know, basically kicked it, cracked it all again, all the way down to the bone. And where like it, it would have been better if it just broke, and it would have been faster heal. But since it didn't break, I had to wait for the bone to actually, you know, heal all the way back. So I missed a whole year of a uh, of a plan uh, overseas. Wow. And 
Um, luckily for me in that, you know, playing that, that was, uh, I, my son, I, you know, my son's mother got pregnant and I had my son, <laughs> but the, after that, like the money was, I played three more seasons, but the money was just never the same. The money, you know, like after you're injured and have like significant injury, like you make money, but you just, you don't make the same amount of money. And by the 10th year, I was kind of like. I'm tired, you know, like my, the money, the money's not worth it. You know, I'm going to just stay home and try to figure out the rest of my life. I was 33 at the time. It was well, like you, a transition part, you know? Well, it's incredible. I mean, you played, you played a full career. I mean, you played a full career overseas. I mean, perseverance, determination, you know, living outside of the box. I do want to ask you a couple questions about you overseas, but I want to just rope back really quick if I possibly can because you brought up something really interesting when you were talking about the concept of when you were talking to scouts and stuff like that with the NBA draft and everything. And I'm just kind of really curious because I've talked to other athletes. I've talked to other NFL players and sports. I think professional sports, especially in America, love to like preach this whole meritocracy thing. But there are a lot of politics mm -hmm. involved in the game and in the business side of playing professional sports that I think young mm -hmm. athletes don't realize can you just talk about that a little bit? Because it can literally come down to, like you said, you're not 6'10", but your wingspan plays like you're seven feet. You know what I'm saying? Like, what are we talking about here? Or the guy that wanted to pick you up 58th overall, it literally could have come down to some new scout that they hired last year who just all of a sudden likes his guy, and now they got to roll with his guy because they hired past scout. I mean, just talk about a little bit of the politics side of things I would tell you this, it's not necessarily your game, it's more like who you know. Right. And I can tell you that it, it goes from NBA, NBA, as well as overseas. <clears throat> and over, I can tell you so many guys that played overseas who made three times the amount of money that I made, four times. And I destroyed them when we would play, you know, because uh, it's like I didn't have the necessarily the right agent to get me to the right team you know for you know to make me the that kind of money that kind of money player and i think you know for me i'll give you the perfect example um when i was in holland my sec third year we played in the, what we call the Europe cup which is like one of the top teams in all of europe play against each other so we was playing one of the top teams in belgium and they had this kid jason gardner from arizona okay uh, played in the NBA, you know, got, dra got, got drafted, but played like one or two years. He was a point guard on the team, Arizona team that went to the national championship. We got Gilbert Arenas and all these familiar, guys. Familiar name. Yeah. Anyway, they had him and they had Vincent Yarborough, the guy who got 360 and when Kobe did the 360 behind the back dunk, he played for Denver at the time. Yeah. 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 He, was, awesome. he was on there. He basically was out of the league after that. <laughs> but I remember uh, my teammate, Travis Young, must have gave him like 35 points, you know, something. And don't get me wrong, Jason Gardner still had like 15 or 18 or 20, whatever it was. But like Travis took it personal that Jason Gardner was making, I don't know, like it was like 30,000 30, a month. And he, Travis, my friend Travis Young was making like five or six, you know? And he's like, how, you know, how's this dude $25,000 more than me, you know? 
And it's like I said, it's like who you know. It's like whatever your agency is or whatever. That's the, really like that overseas. And guys who would make bet camps that I would see that would be going overseas and they wouldn't even play on the overseas team. Like you was in Boston's vet camp and you can't even play overseas. It don't make any sense. Um, so like the politic game is really, really big, especially for people like myself who I always thought I was an NBA player. I just never got the right opportunity to play in the NBA uh, because of, you know, not knowing the right person and getting me in the, you know, getting my foot in the door. Well, even once your foot is in the door, scheme plays a huge role in it. And I know with some of these guys in the NFL too, mm-hmm. well, there's other do, there's other teams that will protect fringe practice players because they want to keep them in their system and will actually blow other opportunities and other teams for them. And by the time the team decides we can't have you on our practice squad anymore, they're out there trying to find a job. And then that other team's opportunity is gone. It's such a weird – I mean, it's, it's a weird mix and you do kind of like – I don't want to call it luck, but you do need a couple things to sort of fall into place, and it doesn't have so much to do with skill, but a lot of these different other factors, which is so strange. I do want to ask you, you know, you go over, you know, you go to Columbia for the first time. Two-part question. The first one was, you know, what kind of, in your heart, what scared you the most about going overseas at such a young age? And then what was, like, the one thing, can you say that, like, man, I even surprised myself that I was able to, you know, what, what did you find inside of yourself that made you be able to play overseas for 10 years like that, um, that, you know, as able to, you've been able to carry over into your adulthood? Well, I would say the scariest thing for my first year overseas was uh, just being away, like never, ever doing it, you know? Um, I've never, I've never, like, you know, like I've traveled, traveled a lot, obviously, from state to state, but never going international where nobody speaks English. Mm-hmm. The coach didn't speak English in Bogota, Colombia. Like, you have one, like, I'll give you an example. There was a pregame speech. Like, pre, he would talk in Spanish the whole way. Now, I asked the guy, the, the my teammate, like, what'd he say? You know, get the ball to you inside. He talked for, like, 15 minutes. <laughs> like, more or less, get the ball to you, you know? I'm like, oh, okay, all right, well, okay. You know, <laughs> we just roll with that. And so, yeah, it's like he just, he just said, uh, he just said, get us a bucket. And you're yeah. like, wait, what? <laughs> yes. Get the bucket. Get, like, he'd be like, some wamo wamo Travis, let's go. You know, and I'd be like, what do you say? He'd be like, get the ball to you inside. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You know, so, okay. Well, you know, that's cool with me. You know, I do, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it do what it do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, I think that um, that was probably like the language barrier, like in not knowing anything about the whole culture and how things were. And uh, I think for me, the whole courage of like uh, the biggest thing I felt like was playing overseas and being successful. Um, that was just such a blessing to me because like, I didn't know, like, you know, you never know how overseas is. I learned, I had the hard lesson in my first year, my basically my first two months of playing where I'm getting released and cut from four different teams in two months. And like basically saying, I'm going to give up basketball, become something. And to like kind of persevere through that to, you know, um, doing playing the 10 year career. Cause I felt like once I, like I said, I, I got my foot in the door in the right situation. Then I, you know, kind of went up, but yeah, those things just, like, I was just like, man, I'm 22 and I'm about to, you know, or 21, whatever I was uh, at the time. And, you know, I'm about to go overseas to make money to play ball. 
but I've also got to give up basketball because I got cut four times. <laughs> so it was like both both actions all at once. So I'm just happy I did get the chance to play the 10 years. I just find it really – I find it inspiring, man. You just stepped out into the unknown. And you, I, I would have been scared. I would have felt vulnerable. And, you know, man, you stuck at it and kept playing the game you love, and you ended up doing it for, for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Consequently, now you are doing – a YouTube series called An Athlete's Journey, and you have your podcast called The Basketball Life. Let's talk a little bit about that because I think our listeners are definitely going to want to check that out for sure. And just talk about some of maybe, I don't know, maybe the bedrock principles you try and impart upon young athletes when they are considering international play. Well, I definitely uh, uh, what happened in this side story about that is uh, my my son basically, um, he asked me, Dad, you know, like he had my jersey on, one of my, overseas jerseys and he was like dad how was your overseas life and i was like son that's a long and complicated answer so i it, it racked over my head for about three weeks let me pull out this globe and, uh we'll pull out this globe real quick yeah you know <laughs> and it's like it's just like i should exactly yeah. and then i was like uh son you know like i'm gonna you know as i told I, i'm gonna do a podcast right and then so i can explain kind of everything that my whole career was um, just my, my ups, my downs, you know, my, my, my dumb decisions my smart decisions and pretty much what inspired also what inspired me is my best friend for, you know, a long time, Billy Knight, he went to UCLA with me and played overseas with me, uh, for a year, uh, he passed away. And like, I was just like the journey and, and it, it, the main thing was because of, he couldn't make the transition from professional athlete to regular person, you know? Yeah and trying to figure out what he was going to do for the next phase of his life. And I'm like, look, when I retired, I was 33. And I, I was hoping that I could live till I'm, if I live till I'm 100 or 90 or 80, that's 50 years, you know? And that's just like a situation where like, what are you going to do with the rest of your life, you know? And the transition for athletes, people wonder why athletes drink or smoke or they have a lot of depression uh, because, they don't know. They don't know how to make the transition from being a, a professional athlete into a regular, like, you know, let's say regular citizen, you know? Another friend of mine, when I was doing the interviews, like, man, basketball is like a drug, and it's hard to find that next, that next, that next fix. And people wonder why, like, even Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson or Kobe, they, they, they hold on for, like, you know, for extra years, like Michael Jordan to the Wizards, when Magic came out of retirement in 96, even with Kobe, you know, staying those extra, your guy rest his soul, even with Kobe staying those extra years, you know, he could have retired maybe 2013, but he stayed, remember, like 2016, whatever it was, 2016, 17, where, you know, he was injured a lot and just athletes don't know when they, we kind of don't know because we want to play till the wheels fall off, you know, and I think that what 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 I what I'm trying to do is uh, other athletes heard my podcast and said, "Man, I want to you know I want to tell my story," and that was pretty much why I started it. Start interviewing other athletes, and you know, like they were like, "Man, it was hard because I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. It was hard for me. I ain't gonna lie. I tell you, it was super hard. Like when when uh, I retired, I was trying to literally figure out what's my next move. You know, I have a son to feed." Yeah, may may I ask real quick? You know, what was what was the most difficult part? Because I maybe I think the casual fan thinks it's the games. Was it the games that you missed the most, or was it the hours 
filled, you know, with the practices, the repetition, the stretching, the working out, everything that goes around playing the game, filling those hours, which was more difficult? Uh, the practices, you know, I don't miss. <laughs> it's the more the camaraderie of the team. Yeah. yeah. Practices, I don't miss. The camaraderie of the team, uh, the games, you know, like the fans screaming your name, um, you know, it's it's that kind of things you miss. And you, like, it's a high, it's a rush. Like, you know, like right before the game starts, you're like, okay, okay. You know, and it's like, it's hard to find that next, like that kind of level of rush. You're not rush, but it's that kind of level of, but well, just that I, kind of I'm level. A former, uh, I'm a former comedian and I, it's not, it's not the same. There is a level of competition, but there's the pre and you hear the crowd, you go out, you do it. The crowd responds, you walk off and you go, and then you take stock of what just happened. There's a ritual to it that you start to get really, really, mm -hmm. really into. Mm -hmm. And when you're not on stage, you exactly, cry, exactly. You're like, what the hell's going on a little bit? I, I totally hear what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. And like, it, like I said, for, for athletes, it, it could be high school, you finish. It could be college when you finish. It could be obviously professional. It's just like a transition to figure out, okay, what's the next phase of my life for me? And like I said, it was a struggle for me. I had, you know, I worked at Enterprise. You know, I worked with Ryder. I worked with, you know, these jobs. And like, you know, that wasn't really me. Um, you know, but I found like a situation where, okay, I'm with a good company now, Swisher International. I'm territory manager, uh, sales rep. Been with the company for about four years. But also doing this, you know, doing this, this is kind of uh, my passion. Um, just to kind of get other people's stories out along with my own. And I would tell myself at a younger age, like, okay, these are the mistakes I made. Don't do these same mistakes, you know? Or I would tell the younger generation, like, these are the mistakes I made. Don't do these, don't do these same mistakes. So, you know, that's my message and try to get my message for these younger athletes, you know? And when I talk to them, because I tell my son all the time, like, you know, this is what I made. These are the mistakes. These are what you need to do when you, if you ever get to that level, you know, like you have to work hard, you have to be this, but you also have to not do this, not do that, you know? And that's kind of like what I've taught, you know, told all younger people who's trying to get into this business because this business will eat you up. Overseas, NBA, whatever, you know, that is, it will eat you up and spit you out, you know? So you got to be prepared for, you know, all everything. I was just about to say. Uh, I was just about to say. Preparation is it would come into my yes. mind for sure. Like you can practice and play the game all you want, but you have to prepare yourself for a lot of different challenges that are going to come at you off the court. And in your particular case, if you want to keep playing the game that you love, whether it is in the states or whether it's overseas, you know you're trying to provide maybe a bit of an instructive playbook of also not what not to do, but what to expect, right? Because I just can imagine there's a lot of fear. And going over there and trying to do oh, that, yeah. and and you can do it, but you have to, you got to prepare yourself for success, right? Like you got to be ready to roll when the door opens up. You got to be able to seize opportunity and, and be at your best when success oh, knocks. Yeah, agreed, agreed, one hundred percent. Like I would tell you this, the main thing I learned about overseas is having a routine, right? Mm. If you don't have a routine, you're not going to last. Period. Because overseas life is so much slower. Um. And you have to have, the main thing is having a routine, like get up, eat your breakfast, go to the gym, lift your weights, come back, nap, get ready for practice, whatever the case is. Day in, day out, having that routine, the routine, routine. 
and getting used to that routine and don't change it for nothing. Otherwise, you won't make it. There were so many guys that I was there with that just they hated it because they was away from their friends, away from their family, away from their kids or girlfriend, whatever the case is. They just like you gotta you gotta think about. I told them just don't think about the world home until you get back home. Think about this world while you're here. Period. And that's the only way you're gonna make it. That's the only way you're gonna make it. You know, for myself, you know, doing it ten years. That's the main thing that I learned. Like I had to be just routine. And I'm hoping that some of that stuff can impart upon you now when you make your own, you know, when you go out on your business, like endeavors and ventures and stuff like that in the future, you, you've got an interesting bedrock of, of a detailed approach of what it's going to take sometimes. And I know what it's like, you know what I mean? Like sometimes you don't want to do that extra work or make that extra phone call or talk to that, to that extra customer or representative or whatever, because you want to go do thing X or Y and Z over there. But I don't know. That's sometimes that's sometimes what it takes. We got just a couple more minutes here. We're going a little long, but I'm so happy to have you here, Travis Reed. And I do hope that all my listeners definitely check out his podcast, A Basketball Life, and also go on YouTube too as well, An Athlete's Journey. Some really great guests on there. I've been trying to just kind of brush up on the work that you've been doing, the content. I've been really enjoying it, man. It's been awesome. But before I get you out of here, we got something called the NBA Finals Game 5 tonight. Um, I got to ask you, man. I got to ask you because this series has been – I mean, on its face, wildly entertaining, um, really hard to handicap. There has been the whole adage from kind of the beginning, it got that vibe of the first home team that loses. Now we got ourselves a series. Well, the first home team lost, you know, Phoenix lost last night, and now we got game six here. You know, how do you handicap this series, and what do you think is going to happen tonight? Who who has the edge right now in this series between Bucks and Suns? Oh, I think, I think honestly, it's Milwaukee. The bigger, more physical team. I think that what they did, they what, from game one adjustment, is they put Drew Holiday on Chris Paul the whole game. Mm-hmm. What Drew Holiday has done is basically cut off the head of the snake. Uh, Phoenix is a is what you call a traditional team. They have a point guard, two guards, a shooting guard, two wings, and a big. And uh, you know Milwaukee is just much more bigger, older, and more physical. So, like, Drew Holiday has been physical with Chris Paul, bumping him, you know, not letting him get to his spots. He's taller. He's bigger. Um, and he's basically – He's been getting his hands in there, too, and just kind of maybe deflecting a pass, you know, just kind of knocking it out of a dude's hands when he's trying to make a move. And that mm-hmm. stuff can just be annoying, you know what I mean? Gets you out of a rhythm. No, and that's what I'm saying. Like, it, 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 you know, Chris Paul has the dude spin. Like, people don't realize doing the spin and spin and spin and spin, like making the guy turn. Mm-hmm. That wears him out over over a game, like let alone a series. If you notice, Chris Paul had a great game one, and every game has been kind of t- 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 ticking down. And they have absolutely no answer for Giannis. He's just dominating. Yeah. There's really one yeah. team or two teams that match up with Milwaukee. That's really it, or maybe three. The Lakers match up with him because they have a guy like Giannis, right? They have two guys who can guard him with LeBron, and they have AD. Um, and they're just as big. They're just as physical. Um, Philly because they're just as big and physical and Brooklyn because they're so skilled. And so like, if you don't have a guy that matches up with Giannis, at least to some degree, he's going to, he's been dominating the series. I mean, 40, 40 back to backs. He averaging like 35 a game or whatever. Without free throws he, some games, without making his free throws some games. He's like it's crazy. He's like Shaq. Shaq style. He's doing it without free throws. Imagine if he, if he hit free throws, he would have 40. I know. I know. You know what I'm saying? 
And like I said, he's he's learning, he's evolving his game right before our eyes. And like going to the post. That's when LeBron became unstoppable. LeBron went to the post. We learned how to post. And Giannis is going like, you don't have to necessarily do back post moves, but he's getting to the 15 feet in where it's hard to double team him. And he doesn't have to do the run and start thing uh, from the three-point line and try to shoot threes. Like he's his game is evolving and Phoenix has no answer for the physicality. They have no answer for that. So I think tonight Milwaukee wins in a blowout. You know, I think they win in a blowout. Wow, that's interesting. No, it, it, it's been it's been so curious, right? Because Drew Holiday started the series, I think, offensively tentative, or I don't want to say scared, but just do, you could just tell that he didn't have really like a smoothness to his shot in the beginning of the series. But that's not what they've needed him for. And in a funny way, mm-hmm. his defense is kind of galvanized because he had a great offensive game in Game Five. He played really well. Yes, and yes. you're bringing up some great points because. We talk all the time about the modern uh, the modern NBA game is just all three-pointers. That's not even really Milwaukee's game other than no. an occasional swing to Connaughton or maybe you find someone in the corner, P.J. Tucker's perfunctive uh, <laughs> corner three that either goes in or doesn't go in. But, you know, Middleton's killing it from mid-range. And, yeah, Giannis is just saying, I'm not going to settle for the elbow jumper. I'm going to take it to the hole. Yeah. I, I, I hear you, but the only thing that's in my mind right now is and I understand that we're in the moment right now, but if I'm looking at the entire the entire package, the Phoenix Suns, they won the most games in the Western Conference. Do you really think they're going to lose four games in a row? Or is that is this just a matchup thing, and that's that's just kind of where we're at with that? It's like boxing. Stop. Team, matchups make fights. Yeah. You know, I think that uh, the Lakers – were a terrible matchup for Phoenix. They were hurt. I guarantee if the Lakers were healthy, they would have beat Phoenix oh. five, 4 1. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. You know, like if eight, look, eight, when they, they beat them in Phoenix game two, beat them in LA game three. If 80 doesn't get hurt in game four, they win game four. They're up 3 1, and then this is a matter of time. Yeah, Jay Crowder would have you know? had more flagrant fouls in that series than they would have had wins. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, like, I, I think honestly, like, it would have been like, Physical teams, older physical teams like Milwaukee is, uh, they just wear you down. They just wear you down. And then I think Phoenix is just worn down because I guarantee you Milwaukee, the whistle will be very, very non-existent tonight, right? Mm. <laughs> so hey. if that's the case, if Phoenix can't do this and hit threes and things like that, Milwaukee gets – they're going to beat them up physically inside with, uh, with, with Lopez – and the guys off the bench, P.J. Tucker and all the, you know, like they're going to physically beat them up. Now, Phoenix, like they can get hot from three. Crowder and, 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 and uh, Bridges and, and Booker and yeah. they get hot from three, maybe. That's the only way they can win. Mm. Milwaukee beats them up physically inside. I don't think it's going to be close. Because 30 years and you can smell it. This is your, this is your chance right here to win it. it I'll be like, I would, if I'm Giannis, it ain't no way. We going to game seven back in their house. It ain't no way they win this game. It ain't no way they win this game. You know? Yeah. If I'm honest, I'm going for 50. Well, you know? and, well, he's he's gonna be he's gonna be hyped tonight, right? Because what he's had to like pull himself out of games because he's almost too jacked up at times. Yeah. That place is gonna be mm-hmm. rocking from the beginning. And maybe that's a maybe that's one of the slow the small keys of the game. I know it's only the first quarter, but Phoenix has got to be really careful there in that first quarter. Hey, yeah, got to manage those timeouts. If Phoenix if, comes out, yeah, 
Manage those timeouts. Keep comes the out, down. They got to come out strong. If Milwaukee gets a lead, like 10, 15 points, it's a snowball. I'm telling you, it's going to be a snowball effect. <laughs> uh, so, you heard it here first from Travis Reed. Uh, Travis, man, thank you so much for joining the pod, man. Again, for everyone out there listening, he has a podcast called A Basketball Life. You can find it on Spotify, Podbean, and iHeartRadio, I believe. And then also yeah. check out his YouTube series, An Athlete's Journey. They talk about, you know, international play. They talk about, you know, just growing up, living the life of the athlete, the experience, and just what it takes, not just physically on the court, but mentally to have success out there. Man, Travis, such a pleasure, man. Thank you so much for coming on the pod. Um, I, 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 there's, we're leaving something on the table, so maybe hopefully you can come back on down the road and we can keep talking. Anytime, I would love it. Anytime, anytime. Um, and if any of your followers want to follow me, I, I put it on, you know, I put it on, as you can see, it's like at Travis Reed, at Travis W. Reed on Instagram, Travis W. Reed on Facebook. Awesome. Yes, please go. Please go check him out and uh, trust uh, you're going to come back. I, I would love to have oh, you. No, I, definitely. Anytime you need me, Joey, I definitely come on your show. I appreciate the time. Um, you know, like I said, like for the, the athletes I've been on, uh, that have been on my show, former NBA and overseas guys, um, please, like, it's a great listen. It's, you know, it, it's a good mindset to just kind of teach people lessons uh, for what they always, I would say, prepare for your future always, what your next thing is. That was one of my mistakes, not to, not preparing, just thinking I'm going to be immortal. I'm going to play until I'm 40, 45, like Tom Brady, but it just doesn't work like that for everybody. <laughs> Um, uh, just, you know, like that's so like that's the, the whole thing of the show. So, like I said, thank you for letting me come on your platform and you know, kind of explain that. Oh, yeah, such a pleasure. Uh, quick, quick tease to as well. I believe your last guest was uh, uh, Ramicha Craig, uh, Roger Craig's daughter, which was a really cool, uh, really cool get, really cool interview. You guys shared some really amazing stories there, too, as well. Yeah, Travis, like I always say, man, there's an expiration, expiration date on everything. Uh, you know, I can't, I can't drink milk anymore. And, uh, you know, I also can't, I can't, I can't, I don't have the jumper that I used to either. You know what I'm saying? So it's just, it just kind of is what it is. And we all move on and we just stay happy and healthy and keep up the good success. Travis, man, thank you so much for coming on. Today's episode of Bet on Chicago Joy Christopoulos was brought to you by betonline.ag. Head to the mobile website because you get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's a pretty good deal right there. So head there right now. You guys, thank you so much for listening to this pod. We got plenty more coming. Until then, be well, be safe. Please be good to each other. And remember, when in doubt, always bet on Chicago. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.